Well Met Adventures, and welcome to the Audio Armory, an exploration of weaponry through the ages. I am your local bard, Emily Cardamus. And I'm your local blacksmith, Liz Belts. Liz, you're dying. Yes, as always. <laughs> but well, not... more so this week. Right, right. You're just exhausted dying. Um, yeah. And weirdly enough, I'm the one with energy. Uh, but Liz, I don't have a solution for you besides like coffee or tea or caffeine of some sort. For your All of which I've dying. In, I've just ingested in directly into my veins. Actually, yeah, yeah, I no, I just, just like... caffeine IV. Don't do that. Actually, that's bad. Yeah, um, no. But if you were mortally wound dying, I might have a solution for you. Oh really? And that solution is Excalibur. That's right, everybody. I did the research this time. <gasps> we're switching it up. If this is a bona fide zag. Because I'm the one doing it this week. Today, she's the local b- blacksmith and I'm your local bird. No, I'm I'm still the bard because it's like I'm talking about legend. Yeah, true. Yeah. So, so Excalibur, uh, which is also called Caliburn, uh, which in Welsh is also called Caldfuch, which is spelled bless you. C-A-L-E-D-F-W-I-C. So tell me how to pronounce that one because I don't know. Um, and there's a bunch of other names for it. There's uh, and and they're all basically some sort of variation on the uh, derivation of Caliburn. Uh, but Excalibur, as it is known today, and as the French Romantics called it, is King Arthur's sword from Arthurian legend. Um, so we'll start with a little entomology first. Uh, so it basically comes from the word Excalibur, which comes from the word Caliburn. Uh, comes from the Welsh Welsh version of the world word, which I'm not going to say again because I don't know how to pronounce it. <laughs> uh, and it is a com- basically a combination of the words hard, which is calid, and breach or cleft, which is which. So it's literally like a hard clefting thing, which is a it sword. is hard stick. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Basically often attributed to have some sort of magical powers um, and is also associated with the rightful sovereignty of Great Britain, which is why obviously a bunch of uh, all of Britannia is kind of obsessed, was obsessed, and is still probably to this day, you know, some section of it obsessed with King Arthur and Excalibur. You know, it's this it's this sort of legend and it was one of Great Britain's uh, early, earliest myths and legends. Um A lot of people say it actually comes from an Irish myth that was then kind of switched around and changed. At least the sword was. I don't know if King Arthur... uh, King Arthur was kind of an English or a British invention. Yeah, I was about to ask. I was like, wait, so King Arthur is actually Irish? (laughs) Right. No, it's... I think the concept of Excalibur uh, was likely uh, not... I don't want to say borrowed... It's, it's very muddy because what we're talking about here are myths and legends that were, you know, have been around for a long time and we're kind of like, we're talking about the 1100s here. So it's difficult to find very good information on, you know, whether like what Excalibur was. And this is a debate that's been happening forever. There are people who constantly debate whether King Arthur was actually real. Uh, and we'll probably never know. These huge societies and people often like search like, oh, this grave, this is probably where he was buried or whatever. And people go in with like metal detectors and stuff. Um, 
But basically, there are two myths surrounding the origin of Excalibur. So you've probably also heard of the Sword in the Stone. Yeah, of course. Uh, you know, there's we have a Disney movie, but also just like in general, the Sword in the Stone is a thing. And there are people who say that Excalibur is the Sword in the Stone, and there are people who say that it is not. Uh, there are people who say that the Sword in the Stone was a different sword and it broke during battle, um, and then Excalibur came later. Well, I wonder why it broke. It was in a sword. The sword was in a stone. I right. mean, it's not exactly the best place for a sword. Right. And, Poor thing. And, and the whole concept around the Sword of the Stone, too, is that uh, Arthur, at the time, was a, a young lad uh, when he pulled it out of the stone. And then that was basically like, you're the king of England now. And he was like, what? Um, so on one hand, you have the Sword in the Stone, which may or may not actually have been Excalibur. But there are some people who say that they, it is. And then you have the legend of the Lady of the Lake. At some point during Arthur's reign, Merlin, who was his druidic advisor and wizard, as some legend wizard. likes to wizard, um, <laughs> wizard, as some legend likes to spin him into, uh, was worried that he would fall in battle, and so Merlin took King Arthur to a magical lake, uh, in which a arm stuck itself up from the lake and basically handed King Arthur a sword. Hey, bro, here's this sword. <laughs> Exactly, and and and, uh, and this hand was the Lady of the Lake, offering King, offering King Arthur Excalibur, and it was said that Excalibur was unbreakable. Um, and it was fashioned by an Avalonian elf smith. So the legend of the Lady of the Lake is something; it's very well known. Um, it's it's one of the things referenced in Monty Python and the Holy Grail. You know, ladies in lakes. Doling out swords is not a way to build a government. But the thing that a lot of people don't know that was magical about Excalibur was actually its scabbard. Basically saying that as long as King Arthur had the scabbard of Excalibur, uh, he could never fall in battle. He would never be wounded. Um, but, you know, without the sword or whatever, he'd be he'd be a-okay. He'd be fine. Absolutely. It he was could just this, like toss. He could toss he the sword could, back into the, the lake. I mean, granted, the sword is, is also magical and could also never break, which I'm assuming at that time would have been very valuable. And also, you know, it came along with like, oh, it's this sign of you're the king of England and everything. Yeah, but at that point, you could put just like any old sword into the scabbard and be like, yeah, no, this is good. Well, yeah, I'm totally but it's the king. not. It's not fun that way, Liz. This it's is not, true. I could have but... put it. I could have put a stick in the scabbard, and it would have been the same. How do we know it wasn't actually a stick? We would have had all these really great stories, like just for example, um, from so this there are a lot of accounts of Excalibur and of Arthur. Um, there's obviously the very uh, familiar uh, French one, uh, but there's also this one is from the 10th century. This is a translation of the Mabagonion. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, but but this is basically a, a collection of myths and legends. Um, which reads, Then they heard Cadwer, Earl of Cornwall, being summoned, and saw him rise with Arthur's sword in his hand, with a design of two chimeras on the golden hilt. When the sword was unsheathed, what was seen from the mouths of the two chimeras were like two flames of fire, so dreadful that it was not easy for anyone to look. At that, the host settled, and the commotion subsided, and the Earl returned to his tent. 
So, you know, like, Excalibur, hmm. even though the whole hubbubaloo really is about the scabbard, uh, Excalibur was was made to be pretty impressive. Sounds like it. I mean, if you have two chimeras and they're just vomiting out light. You got is... pyrotechnics in your sword yeah. back in the 10th century. It's like a heavy metal sword, like, it legitimately. Not only would it literally be heavy, but, oh, I hope he had, like, the makeup of Kiss or something. I mean, probably not, but that's a good visual. No, this is going to be, this is the new canon. This is uh, this is the new history. <laughs> King also... Arthur was actually a metalhead. Yeah. <laughs> before yeah, metal that, even existed. B- before, he, was, he was a metalhead before metal was even cool. Exactly. He that's was how like cool a, he was. He was like a pro, pro, like proto-proto hipster. Mm-hmm. There's also an account of Excalibur from the 19th century poet Alfred Lord Tennyson, uh, which reads... There he drew forth the brand Excalibur, and o'er him drawing it the winter moon, brightening the skirts of a long cloud, ran forth and sparkled keen with frost against the hilt. For all the haft twinkled with diamond sparks, myriads of topaz lights, and jacinth work of subtlest jewelry. Well, now that sounds like you could just pawn it off and make a quick buck. It was bedazzled. It was bedazzled. Bedazzle your sword. Um, as a blade itself, though, there isn't a lot of description of what type of sword, if Ex- if Excalibur existed, uh, which, you know, we're taking a lot into account. If, you know, there might have been a concept. We're scientific here. I'm scientific here, despite being barred. Um, Science. We're taking a lot into account, obviously. We're basically saying if Excalibur existed, we're just like buying directly into mysticism. And I'm not one for that. Uh, but if a sword you know, like it is probably likely that if King Arthur existed um, and was the king of England, his sword would have become a prominent uh, icon of the time, especially if it was as ornately decorated as a lot of literature seems to suggest. Um, and again, you know, the, you know, uh, poets and everything will romanticize stuff, but... Uh, you know, this might be where this legend of it being magical uh, came from. That would make sense if you have something extremely decorative and Mm -hmm. maybe not extremely popular in that area. Right. They would just be like, oh, snap, that thing is so shiny and bedazzled. It's got to be something otherworldly. We're talking about the 10th and 11th century here, where some of these, uh, some of these earliest uh accounts are being made uh i'm not quite sure what time period king arthur technically was supposed to have existed in very early obviously um in english history uh but so the thing is beside outside of it looking flashy and brilliant there's not a whole lot of physical description but assuming the time period and assuming depictions of both Excalibur and the sword and the stone they look a lot like broadswords or maybe even English claymores uh which I mean at the time would be the sword that would be used so it makes sense in many versions of the tale Excalibur's blade was engraved with phrases on the opposite sides uh one meaning uh one saying take me up And the other saying, cast me away. Pick me up and throw me back in the lake. I don't want to be here anymore. Well, the latter latter phrase refers to the sort of end of Excalibur. The scabbard was stolen by Morgan Le Fay, um, who's also, if you're familiar with Arthurian legend, that's another common name that pops up a lot. 
she was kind of the sort of other, she was a she was in theory a witch. She was kind of uh, Merlin's counterpart. If you've watched the Disney Sword of the Stone, she was like the sort of old hag. Her and Merlin have that like wizard fight where they yeah, like either. turn each other into or they turn each other into animals. So basically, like it. You know, he loses the scabbard, he gets wounded in battle, and he instructs Sir Bedivere to cast Excalibur into a nearby lake, uh, to basically return it from whence it came. Uh, He fails to do this twice, he hides it two times, and he's like, oh, I cast it back, and King Arthur's like, you are lying! Go actually throw it away! Why would he lie about throwing the sword? (laughs) Because he thought it was too valuable. He, uh, he basically was like, this sword is too p- powerful and too valuable to throw it away. I can um, pawn this off and get a mansion in the hills. Well, or he wanted to keep it for his own, you know, right. And if we think about the fact, and granted, I'm drawing I'm drawing a lot of conclusions here, but if this sword has become a symbol of the, you know, the, the sovereign ruler of Great Britain, that's powerful in a different way, in like the symbolic way. Uh, so basically, he fails to do this twice. On the third time, finally, King Arthur's like, go throw it away for real. And he does. And he chucks it into a nearby lake. And a hand from the lake reaches up, catches the sword, brandishes it three times, and then returns back to the depths. Uh, basically, the idea that the Lady of the Lake returned and took Excalibur back. And then King Arthur died. But Wow, I mean, that was fast. Well, not like immediately after, but I'm assuming, you know, you we're talking. Oh, no, as soon as it medicine. hit the water, he's just like, Ugh. all right, cool. I'm dead now. Like, But basically, that is the gist of it. Uh, as it turns out, I was very interested by this because like the idea of like, I'm going to get a sword from a lake is very common in Celtic myth. Uh, the, the, the exact phrase I found, which is just funny to say, is... The deposition of swords, weaponry, and other valuables in sacred lakes and rivers was a popular practice amongst the Celtic peoples. Um, so before we had banks, we had lakes. Perfect. And the tellers would be the ladies that lived in the lake? I guess. perhaps gentlemen, depending on the story. Yeah, yeah. I think it was mostly women in lakes. I don't know why. Or, Or are they really women? Well, I mean, no. So far, like, all I'm hearing is it's just be, a hand. It's just an arm, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's just a disembodied zombie arm. Yeah. It's just like, hey, guys. And you're just like, yeah, okay, I'm just going to assume that it's a lady. Mm-hmm. Because who else would be in a lake? Apparently not, like, a tortoise. Well, no, no not a tortoise. Tortoises are, are land critters. But, like, a turtle uh-huh. or a fish. Yeah. Or... It was a bunch of fish that just made itself look like a hand. There you go. And it picked up a sword that was at the bottom of the lake or something. New theory. Yeah. I mean, this seems extremely realistic. Put that on your conspiracy website. But no, it's a very strange concept that it's, let's go to a lake. Oh, hey, (laughs) thanks, disembodied arm, for giving me this thing. Thanks, Magic Lake. I'm going to go save the kingdom now. And I think it's probably something to do because even if I think about, this is actually a concept that's been perpetuated in popular culture. Like, I think about even the simple things 
like the first Legend of Zelda game when you're walking around and you find a fairy fountain. It's a lake with a fairy in it. Um, so there's definitely some sort of connection between magical creatures or fae creatures and bodies of water. Um, I'm not sure why, but I mean, and, and obviously there are such thing as, I believe like, I don't know if Nixie is the right word. There's a lot of different words for like water, not mermaids, but like water pixies. Uh, but it's something that's been perpetuated in a lot of different pop culture. Uh, and it may have originated with, you know, the Lady of the Lake. Maybe. So Link is actually King Arthur. I mean, if you think about it, it's not that big of a stretch. He gets a magical sword with which he defeats a great evil and returns peace to Hyrule. Much like how King Arthur had a magical sword, defeated a great evil, and restored peace and actually unified England. Yeah. Well, great. Now now we know the answer to everything. Mm-hmm. Link is actually just, you know, Well, I mean, what King we're Arthur. talking about here is the hero cycle, so... No, no, no. This is direct. <laughs> he is King Arthur. He's King Arthur. I stand corrected. You're right. Yes. He, he is King Arthur, mm-hmm. and the Lady of the Lake is the, not... Not if you look at Breath of the Wild and how they've made, like, all the fairies look really beautiful. I haven't seen anything from Breath of the Wild. Okay, well, they look really beautiful. Okay. We're talking, like, the... What was it? Was it the N64? Where it was just, like, all blocks. We don't talk about the great fairy from Ocarina of Time. Oh, no, no. This is exactly who it is. she scares me and I don't like her. I... (laughs) She gave me nightmares as a child, okay? Can we... Can we continue on? (laughs) She scared me. She yells, <laughs> and it's scary. This is true. And she's like, "Whoa!" Stop. Like, ah. yes. No, I don't want to relive this. Uh, but yeah, that's basically the short version of the myth of Excalibur. Nice. It's not if very. If only we knew who made it. What was in that? Theory. If only we knew who made it. In theory. Right, and and the it, issue is that you know we don't <laughs> we don't we don't. don't even know but if it's the real. idea is that it wasn't even made in in the myth. It was just like the Lady of the Lake just had it. It was made by an elf. It was made by an elf. Yes, <gasps> Santa. All right, Santa made it and threw it into the lake for King Arthur on his birthday. Yeah. And King Arthur is actually Zelda. Wait, on his birthday? Yeah. Because Santa, Santa gives gifts on birthdays. Yes. In medieval times when everything was backwards. That's not how any of that works. Okay. This is my history. Um, if you haven't listened to our episode on broadswords, it was actually our first episode, uh, you can go back to listen to that and... Uh, we'll talk. We talk in more depth about a broadsword, which uh, a lot of people theorize is what type of sword Excalibur was. Um, it's a very basic sword. Um, I think we call it the father, the mother of all swords, because basically a lot of swords descended from that standard design. Um, d- do you want to give a tip of the week, or do you want me to? Um, I don't. Very tired. Cur- I don't currently have a tip of the week other than go get go sleep. Yeah. Sleep. 
Enjoy sleep. Love sleep. Here's your tip of the week, uh, listeners. It's it's it'll be both a bard and blacksmith tip of the week. Go sleep. You yeah, need go rest. sleep is my tip. You need rest and embrace it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Love that bed. So that's gonna do it for us here. Uh, I would like to thank Samantha Hogan who made the intro and outro music for our podcast. You can find her work at samanthahogan.com or on Twitter at shogan underscore composer. Uh, you can tweet at us uh, at Audio Armory Cast. Any suggestions or uh, for topics for the show or comments, uh, you can email us. Uh, that's AudioArmoryCast at gmail.com. You can find our personally, personally, we can, you can find us personally on Twitter. Uh, I am at Corrupted Gem. Liz is at Liz Belts. That's Liz with two Z's. Um, and we're on iTunes, so you can, like, rate, review, subscribe, whatever. I don't know. Uh, we do this for fun, so basically your word of mouth is what gets us new listeners um, to make this silly, goofy podcast. And we really appreciate you listening to this and and stuff. Yeah, you're awesome. You are. All of you. Um, and until- Except you, Aaron. Sorry. Yeah. No, I don't know who I don't know who Aaron is. Um yeah, he's he's just Oh, is Aaron. that your Okay. <laughs> Aaron, I'm sure you're fine. I don't know what Liz's beef is. The beef is uh uh I'll come up with something. <laughs> okay. Liz is going to come up with some beef for you, Aaron, whoever you are. Um and until next time, I have been and always will be your illustrious bard, Emily Cardamus. And I will forever and always be your local and very tired blacksmith, Liz Belts. And don't throw rocks at don't birds. Don't throw rocks at birds. Don't, don't do Ever. that. Ever. Ah, birds. birds.